Well, if you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time. We're going to start at least in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 6. Today's the uh, last message, final message in our series on biblical foundations. And, you know, we've covered a lot of ground in in these uh, uh, past seven weeks. And, you know, if you've been here with us for most of the message, you've really received what I would call a mini course in theology. We should probably pass out certificates to everyone, you know, something you could frame and, and put on your wall. But, you know, we, we studied what the scriptures tell us about the Bible, God, Jesus, salvation, the Holy Spirit, and the resurrection. And today we, we come to see what the Bible says about the church. And that, that's pretty much it. I mean, those are all the major areas, aren't they, that we need to know about as Christians. So uh, we're going to start today in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul writes, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look at these verses and others relating to uh, the church, uh, I pray, God, that you would help us not only to to learn more, but uh, that we would leave this morning appreciating uh, the church of Christ more, and Lord, being more deeply committed to your church as well. So Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I have a confession to make this morning. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love God's people. I love worshiping with God's people. I love fellowshipping with God's people, serving with God's people. I grew up in the church. Uh, I've been a member of, I had to count them, I've been a member of nine different local churches uh, over the years. I'm so grateful that my parents uh, were faithful in bringing us to church each Sunday growing up that they were faithful in church attendance themselves. As long as I can remember, church and family have intertwined as the two uh, major shaping influences in my life. The church has nurtured me in my faith from the time I was a child uh, through uh, my years of seminary study and continues even today as I serve as pastor. Now, I'll be honest with you, growing up as a kid, didn't always want to go to church, okay? Didn't always want to go, and if my parents had given me the choice, you know, I I may not have gone every Sunday. And if so, I would have made a bad decision. It was through the church that I learned not only to love Jesus as the Son of God and the Bible as the Word of God, but I also learned to love the church as the people of God. And you know, when we hear that word church, we often think of the church building, don't we, right? You know, know, we think of the church, the building. But the word church in the New Testament always refers to the people, to the people who make up the church. 
You know, sometimes people will call the, the, the church office during the week, and they'll say, where is your church located? And I know what they're asking. They want to know the address, right? They want to know where the physical building is located. Where is your church located? And I often feel like uh, responding this way. I say, well, the Douglases are up in Coral Springs, and, you know, and the Braswells, they live in Pembroke Pines. A lot of us, uh, you know, we live in Plantation, and right now most of the kids are at school. Yeah, I, I would love to... Maybe I should do that. What do you think? Shall we make a, a, a pinky, you know, handshake of that? The next time someone asks, where's your church located? Talk about the people, not the building, right? Because that's what the Bible speaks about. You know, they didn't even have church buildings when the New Testament was written. A church building is simply a place uh, where the church people gather together to worship God. A building's a wonderful thing. It can be a wonderful tool for ministry. It can help to make us more effective in ministry, but the building is not the church. It is the people. Jesus died on the cross, not just for individuals, but for the church. Now, we will all stand individually before God for judgment one day. When you are saved, you are saved as an individual, right? No one makes that decision for you. It's a personal decision that you make before the Lord. But although you may be saved as an individual, you are not saved simply to be an individual Christian. You are saved into God's family. You are saved to be a part of Christ's church. And so, yes, Jesus died for you. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would still have come and died for you. But in a deeper sense, Jesus died for the church. Ephesians 5 tells us this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, not just individuals, but for the church. So Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. And Jesus works today through the church. If the church is that important to Jesus, the church should be vitally important to us as well. Now, you're here today, so that's good. I'm assuming church is important to you, and I hope in a very deep and personal way. But today, we want to look more closely. What does the Bible tell us about the church uh, as we close out our series? Our statement of faith speaks of the church in the following way. We believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Real short statement. It might be one of the shortest statements in our statement of faith, but it is packed with truth. We believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to understand this spiritual unity among all believers, we begin by talking about the one true universal church. One true universal church. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out. Maybe jot down some notes and follow along. One true universal church, and guess what? It's not us. Okay, It's not Plantation Community Church or any other local church. And sorry to disappoint you if that's what you thought, but it's just not so. One true universal church, it is comprised of all who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The most basic of all Christian confessions is simply this, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And so the universal church is everyone who acknowledges Jesus as Lord. The universal church began with the disciples in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago. It continues to spread around the globe. And when you look at global Christianity, you find an amazing cultural diversity among true Christians. Author Paul Marshall reminds us that Christianity is not a white European, American, Western religion, although it's often painted that way in the media. Most Christians, folks, most Christians are not white. 75% of Christians today live in third world or developing countries. 75%, that's three-fourths of us Christians around the world. Christianity was in Africa before Europe, in India before England, and in China, before America. In fact, currently more people participate in Sunday morning worship in communist China than in all of Western Europe combined. Same is true of the country Nigeria. We hear a lot about the Middle East today. We prayed for the Middle East today. And we know the Middle East is predominantly Muslim, but did you know that the Middle East also has many Christians? The country of Lebanon, 30% Christian. Egypt, 10%. Sudan, 5%. Did you know that more Christians today speak Spanish as their primary language than, than Christians who speak English? Christian World Database. Christians who speak Spanish, 413 million. Christians who speak English, almost half of that, 250 million. 206 million speak Portuguese, followed by Russian, Chinese, French, Tagalog, and German. Now, we're a pretty diverse group here at our church, but the universal church is far more diverse than we are or we ever could be. We are just a small cross-section of the church of Jesus Christ. And then you've got to consider this. The universal church comprises not only those who are alive today, as diverse as that is, who are alive today and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. It also includes those Christians who've already died, who've gone to be with Jesus before us. We sometimes speak of those Christians who are still on earth. We are the church militant, right? We're still in the battle. We're still in the fight. And the, those who've gone before us are the church triumphant. But it's still one universal church. All Christians everywhere, living or dead, comprise the one true universal church of Jesus. Now, a lot of people struggle with this. They say, but there's so many denominations. Yes, but there's only one true church. But churches disagree on so many things. Yes, but there's only one true church. But aren't there Catholics and Protestants and Charismatics and Independents? Yes, but there is only one true church. Now, there, there are many legitimate reasons for various denominations, uh, different doctrinal emphases, varieties in style. Denominations continue to grow. At the beginning of the 20th century, uh, there were about 2,000 denominations. I think it was 1900. So about 2,000 denominations. You go, well, that's a lot of denominations. Today, there are over 45,000 denominations. And that's not all a good thing, okay? Uh, But regardless of how you feel about denominations, 
still only one true universal church. Everyone who has truly believed in Jesus Christ for salvation belonged to this one church. So then someone might say, well, if there's only one church, then I guess it doesn't matter what church you go to. Yeah, right? All people in all churches are saved? No, 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 no. Did not say that, did I? Belonging to a certain church doesn't save you. Only belonging to Jesus saves you. But when you belong to Jesus, now you belong to his church. The reformers distinguished between the visible church and the invisible church, right? The visible church were those who can be found in church buildings and church assemblies. The invisible church, those who truly belong to Christ. Because just, you, just because you go to a church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Or as one wise old believer once said, Just because a mouse lives in a cookie jar doesn't make him a cookie, right? Same concept here. Just because you're in church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are his. You cannot fool God. Someone else might say, But churches disagree on so many issues. They can't all be right. Never said they were all right. Just saying the Bible says there's one true church. There are also, sadly, many false churches. And no one church, no one church has a premium on the truth. Okay? But the closer a church conforms to the teaching of God's word, the closer that church aligns itself with the one true church. Of Christ. Those who belong to the one universal church, we are all members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says this The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The universal church has many members. But together we are one body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says it this way. One body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Together we are all one body. We have one head, Jesus Christ. Jesus, in speaking of the universal church, told his disciples, he said, there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is that one shepherd. He's our shepherd. And the universal church is the one flock under his care. So one true universal church, all true Christians from all times in all places, Regardless of race or cultural or denominational background, that's our first truth we affirm this morning. One true universal church includes everyone who acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, this one universal church, and this is so important now, expresses itself as many local churches. And that's the next a biblical truth we want to look at. Yes, there's one true universal church, but many local assemblies. So how do the local assemblies, how does our local assembly, how do the local churches fit into the big picture of the universal church? You know, if, if all true Christians belong, already belong to this one universal church, then why have local churches at all? 
Why don't we just have the one big universal church? Well, a lot of it comes down to logistics, right? Yeah, you physically can't get everyone together all at once. God created us as finite human beings. We live in finite, limited physical spaces. We are limited in the number of meaningful relationships we can enjoy. We cannot have true fellowship with all the millions of Christians, both living and dead. And so God created this way. God gifted us with local churches where we can learn and grow and enjoy fellowship with each other. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. And there he's talking about the universal church. But our question right now is, how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus build the universal church? He does it through local churches. How do we know that? Well, as you read through the New Testament, you see how Jesus began building his church. He sent apostles out, missionaries, apostles who planted local churches wherever they went. In Jerusalem, Antioch, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, and so on. When you read your Bible, a large part of your New Testament is actually letters, letters written to who? To these local churches. And it's interesting. When the apostles address a local church, they don't address it as, oh, a part of the church, right? They don't say, oh, oh the, the part of the church here. No, they speak of it as being a whole church. A local church is not the entire church, it's not the universal church, but it is an entire church in itself. It's not the whole body of Christ, but it is a local body of Christ functioning as a complete church in and of itself. And the local church is essential to God's plan of reaching out to the world. Just before Jesus uh, left his disciples to return to heaven... He gave them these instructions, Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We call these verses the Great Commission. This is Christ's commission to the church to bring the gospel into all the world to make disciples of people in all the nations. Well, how does, how does the church fulfill the Great Commission? God has chosen to work primarily through Local churches, through the local church to bring the gospel to others around the world. Here's a question for you. How many of us here today, how many of you do you think you would be a Christian today if there were no local churches? If there's just one big universal church, but if there are no local churches, how many of us would be believers today? Probably very few, because this is how God does it. This is one of the reasons why missionaries focus so much of their efforts on church planting. They don't don't just go out and share the gospel with people and move on and share the gospel with people and leave people behind. They share the gospel with people and they gather believers into an assembly. They're following God's scriptural pattern from the book of Acts and from the New Testament. And And then they train those believers and they equip them and they appoint elders and pastors. And now there's a local church. And so now when you move on, that local church is reaching people for Jesus. That's how we got here. People came over here and they planted churches in the U.S. And it just continues. God works primarily through the local church to fulfill his purposes here on earth. And that brings us to our final point we need to make this morning, which is what are God's purposes for the local church? Because part of being united as Christian means that we must be united in purpose. Paul encouraged the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. He said, I want you to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit 
and in purpose. So what are God's purposes for his church? Well, we find several purposes in Scripture. I've listed them for you on your outline. Uh, But God calls the church to worship him, to serve together, to fellowship together, to teach the word of God, to share the gospel, and to be a witness to a watching world. Now, our church has a purpose statement uh, that tries to capture Uh, all of these various purposes. It's an acrostic. It it actually spells out the name of Christ. If you look at the first letter uh, of each sentence, uh, let me share it with you. Uh, our uh, Our purpose statement says, the purpose of Plantation Community Church is to make disciples, right? That's what, that's the overall purpose that Jesus said, make disciples, to make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ by C, calling people to Christ, H, helping them grow in Christ, R, receiving them into fellowship and service, I, involving them in personal and group worship. The letter S, sharing God's love in Broward County and beyond. T, teaching and equipping people for ministry. What is the overall purpose of the church? Christ, right? We want to share Christ with people, but it's to make disciples. And how do we do that? How do we make disciples? By calling people to Christ, helping them grow in Christ, receiving them into fellowship and service, involving them in personal and group worship, sharing God's love here and beyond, teaching and equipping people for ministry. Most churches have a purpose statement, and and, and they're they're usually worded differently, but as long as they focus on God's purposes for the church, the things that that are on your outline that we talked about, worship, service, fellowship, teaching, evangelism, as long as it focuses on God's purposes then we are united in purpose as we seek to fulfill God's purposes for his church. So there's one universal church, but many local assemblies, and we are called to be united in purpose as we fulfill God's purposes for his church. What does that mean now for you and me today? Uh, I want to close today with today's message with two applications. Two applications. First of all, Because there is one true universal church, we should strive to demonstrate Christian unity with other true believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. We should stand in unity with other believers in Christ regardless of their cultural, racial, or denominational background. We should allow for differences of interpretation in those minor areas of Christian doctrine where where Bible-believing Christians sometimes disagree. At the same time, we need to stand strong, right, on the major truths of Scripture, those things which God has clearly revealed to us. For example, the seven biblical foundations we've been looking at in this series. Those are all major teachings of Scripture that all true Christians can agree on. There is one true universal church. Therefore, as believers, we should strive for both unity and truth. And then secondly, because God works primarily through local churches to fulfill his purposes in the world, you should commit yourself to a local church. And you should look for a local church that is pursuing the purposes that God has revealed in the Bible. So many people, especially today, just like to church hop, right? You know, spend a couple weeks at this church over here, jump around, and, and uh, yeah, they never really put roots down anywhere. And, and that's a shame because they never get to experience the joy of finding a local assembly of believers that they can call home. And so I would encourage you to become a member of of a local church. If you ever move from here, move to another area, you become a member of a local church. Check out their uh, statement of faith and their purpose statement. 
make sure that they're holding to God's word. Uh, we hold membership classes at our church several times a year. We just had one this summer. And so probably the next one will be in January sometime right after the new year. Uh, and if you attend here regularly, but you're not a member, I would encourage you to take that next step. Become a member of Plantation Community Church. You know, you don't have to be a member to attend church here, okay? You are always welcome, okay? You could attend here for the next 50 years and never become a member, and you will always be welcome here every Sunday, always welcome. But if you are a believer in Christ and you've been here a while, and if this is the church that you call home, and people say, well, what's your church? Oh, it's Plantation Community Church. Then let me encourage you to pray about becoming a member. If you're not sure what all that involves, talk to me after the service or reach out during the week. Be glad to share with you what that's all about. And then uh, when you see us advertising that class right after the new year, say, I'm going to sign up. It's time for me to commit to a local church. And we would love to welcome you into membership here. We believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one universal church but many local assemblies which are called to be united in purpose as we fulfill God's purposes for his church in the world. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your church. Lord Jesus, you said you would build your church and you are doing that every day, every week, every month, every year. You are building your church. You are building your universal church. More and more people are coming into the kingdom. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that we, have, uh, we share a unity of, of faith uh, with believers all around the world, many of whom we've never met, many who speak different languages and have very different uh, customs and traditions than we do, and yet we are united in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the universal church. Lord, we thank you for the local church. Lord, a place we can call home. A church that is a church in and of itself. That you are blessing. And Lord Jesus, you are building our church as well. We thank you so much. We thank you that we get to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to help us uh, in uh, in our journey, our spiritual journey, as we commit to the local church, as we commit to the gospel, as we commit to your purposes for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.